0: Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Miradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell since 1935. Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. The budget outlook remains cloudy as a handful of Republicans join Democrats to vote against the deal proposed by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, raising the prospects of a government shutdown. This as the Senate circumvents Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville's blanket hold on military promotions, individually confirming General C.Q. Brown as the next chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, as well as the chiefs of the Air Force, Army, Navy and Marine Corps. As Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky pleads for more help from the podium of the United Nations and in Washington, three nations critical to the war effort, Poland, Hungary, and Slovakia, have said that their support for Kiev is contingent on Ukraine stopping exporting grain that is hurting their farmers. China's defense minister joins a growing list of top officials that have disappeared And as China's economy weakens, Beijing has stepped up intrusions into Taiwanese airspace. Joining us today to review the week in Washington and around the world are Dr. Patrick Cronin, the Asia-Pacific Security Chair at the Hudson Institute Think Tank, Michael Herson, the President of American Defense International, one of Washington's top defense and aerospace lobbying firms, former Pentagon Europe Chief Jim Townsend, who is now with the Center for a New American Security and the co-host of the Brussels Sprouts podcast, the must for anybody interested in the transatlantic relationship and former Pentagon Comptroller, Dr. Dov Zakheim, who counts the Center for Strategic and International Studies, among his many affiliations. Everybody, uh, welcome back. Uh Dov and Michael, Shana Tova. Happy New Year. Uh, it is uh, hopefully we're going to start this year off better uh, and it will end better uh, than uh, last year. Um, start us off, Michael, uh, on uh, two massive defeats for the uh, speaker uh, this week. Um, while Democrats are urging him uh, to work with them uh, to pass a budget. Everybody acknowledges that that's not going to happen because all it takes is one Republican um, to try to force him uh, from office. Where are we on appropriations? Where are we on authorizations? Uh, And I'm going to allow both you and Dove to do a lot of I told you so, because if I recall correctly, you've been saying that this is what's going to happen all the way back in January. More reasons for people uh, to be listening to this program and to be talking to you there. Uh, thank you. Put put that on the table.
1: <laughs> uh, so, uh, so look, I think it's it would be helpful to to walk through what happened this week and to see where we are uh, right now. So, I think you know. So on Sunday night, uh, members of the Freedom Caucus in the House and the Republican Main Street Caucus, which they consider themselves about the pragmatic conservative group, and they have a little over seventy members. So they reached a deal uh, Sunday night on a proposed uh, CR for thirty days. Uh, And and that deal was backed by the Heritage Foundation. It would have reduced non-defense and non-veterans spending by about 8% uh, from last year. But by maintaining current defense and veterans levels, it would have been overall 1% cut uh, from the 23 spending levels. And it would have included provisions from HR2, which is their their border security bill. Almost immediately on Monday, people came out criticizing it. Uh, Victoria Sparks from Indiana came out lashing out against McCarthy saying he's a weak speaker. Uh, most notably, Anna Paulina Luna, who's a congresswoman from Florida, had just given birth and was recovering from an infection. And she came out saying, I will get an airplane to come to D.C. to vote against uh, this CR. And, you know, looming behind all this, you know, too, is that is that threat of a motion to vacate if McCarthy <clears throat> passes, uh, gets Democratic support for a CR. And Matt Gates <clears throat> apparently has been leaving copies of a motion to vacate the speaker in men's rooms around Capitol Hill. Hoping uh, and, and has worked that uh, people will pick to find them and give them to the press and and uh, and write about it. Uh, and Congressman Ken Buck really put McCarthy's situation out there perfectly on Monday. He said the thing that would force a motion to vacate is if McCarthy has to rely on Democratic votes to pass the CR. And I don't think a motion to vacate has legs until Kevin relies on Democrats. But then he said, I don't see how we pass the CR without Democratic votes. So that's the box that he found himself in. Uh, On Tuesday, that plan to pass that CR uh, completely unraveled. They uh, couldn't get the rule passed to even begin discussion and debate on on the CR. Uh, It got so bad, even Scott Perry, who's the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, he came out frustrated, said, look, if you're opposed to this, but there's something you can support, please tell us what that something is. And it gets back to what we said last week. It's just unclear what these guys want. Um, so people start throwing out you know all different ideas you know to change the package. They want to defund uh, the Jack Smith investigation to Trump. Um, you know prohibit funding for the war in Ukraine. Again, uh, complaining about spending levels. And in addition to that, not only did they, were they unable to vote on the rule on the CR on Tuesday, but they put the rule on the floor for the defense appropriations bill, and that failed. Uh, five Republicans broke ranks, so the defense the rule on defense went down, and that further exacerbated tensions in the in the conference so congressman mike garcia for example who's on defense appropriations california started calling these people who voted against it uh chinese sympathizers and that they're con- enabling a uh, xi so that brings us now to wednesday uh where house republicans huddled in the morning to try and figure out what to do uh they then uh met again later in the afternoon and came up with a new plan and a new plan was a CR now at much lower spending levels, 1.4 trillion, which would be at the limit, save Grow Act numbers, uh, and would have their immigration policies attached. Uh, members walked out; their spirits uh, were raised, but very shortly thereafter, some cold water started getting dumped on that. You know, where Gates came out saying, "Look, you know, no matter what McCarthy does, uh, he can load up a CR with any kinds of conservative priorities. There is just a certain amount of people who are going to vote no, no matter what. Matt Gates being one of them." So the plan coming out Wednesday night was Thursday, they would vote again on the rule on defense appropriations. After the rule passed, they felt that they could then begin debate on defense appropriations, have final passage on Friday, which would be today. And then tomorrow, Saturday, vote on a CR. Uh, And again, looming in the background of all this too, is uh, Donald Trump uh, saying that he opposes uh, a a, a CR, unless of course, um, the the investigations into him are, are defunded. So uh, on Thursday they did put the rule on the floor for a vote and it failed again. Um, they there were two members that switched their votes who were yeses on the rule the day before and then became noes the next day and they were Eli Crane and most notably Marjorie Taylor Greene who now says she won't vote for anything that has uh, Ukraine funding in it. So uh, after that and McCarthy had threatened to keep members here through the weekend to figure this out, but after suffering that defeat yesterday. Um, they sent uh, members home. So everybody flew back home, and he will not come back until Tuesday, which will give them really four legislative days until there's a shutdown. So now, uh, early last evening, a new plan came together where they would bundle four appropriations bills together, defense, agriculture, homeland, and financial services, pass those, and then pass a CR, which would have, again, the uh, HR2 attached to it and a debt commission. By late last evening, that deal uh, fell apart. So the new plan, and it's a plan as of today, is to pass four individual appropriations bills. And the rules committee and the House is meeting today on this. Right. So next week, to try and pass defense on its own, the agriculture bill on its own, homeland on its own, and state and foreign ops on its own. And the goal there would be to cut the, the uh, funding levels in agriculture and state and foreign ops lower than what they already are after coming out of markup, but not cutting defense and and homeland. And this would show the conference that they're serious about cutting spending, and then they would pass the CR. However, this plan requires a government shutdown because there's no way that they can pass all four of these appropriations bills individually before the government runs out of money on September 30th. So instead of Congress being in recess now, uh, starting October 1st, They would plan to be here continuing to vote on these appropriations bills. Now, I've asked leadership uh, uh, last night again this morning, first of all, how do you know you have the rule, the vote on the rules to pass these bills, which they still don't know because the Gates faction is a separate faction, although he thinks he can get people to vote for the rule. And then I said, if by some miracle you do pass all four of these bills, then uh, how do you pass the CR? What's the CR look like that passes both the House and the Senate? And they still don't know. So they feel that that there, there, there will be a shutdown and it will last until at least October 10th because the 10th is a pressure point they feel on the Senate because that's when the Senate has to process its payroll.
0: So pretty much we are definitely heading for a shutdown.
1: Yes. The only thing that would forego a shutdown is the Senate now plans to send a CR over to the house using the FAA reauthorization bill as a vehicle. So they will try and jam the house with a CR. So I would expect the Senate next week to send a CR to the house and they will need it every day To do it because they're not going to have uh, unanimous consent and full cooperation from all the Republicans in the Senate. Uh, So McCarthy will be faced with a choice, take it up or not take it up. If he does take up that CR and passes it, there will be motion to vacate. And then that's the end. So my guess is, is that they stick with this plan and shut the government down.
0: Uh, Dove, uh, from your uh, perspective, uh, what are the mechanics and what are the things the Pentagon ought to be doing now to get ready for this?
2: Well, you know, uh, like Michael, I've been saying all along that I thought a shutdown was was going to happen. They've, of course, the Pentagon has gone through that not all that long ago. Uh, And uh, in 2021, OMB issued a whole bunch of rules, 46 pages of rules, actually, uh, regarding what happens to employees, who's exempted, who's not exempted. Uh, People should know that anybody appointed by the president, whether or not confirmed by the Senate, is not uh, is exempted and has to continue working. And of course, they're not going to get paid, but there's new there was legislation passed that ultimately they would get paid. Um, so in that regard, um, I guess workers who are furloughed uh, know that they will get their paychecks ultimately. how they manage until then is a whole other question. Um, the there's uh, an issue, of course, what happens with contractors and the answer to that seems to be, that uh, if there's already money that's gone to the contractors and the contractors can continue to work uh, but if uh, they don't have money then and they have to get new money then the contractors can't work remember contractors are paying the employees and there are a lot of employees that are doing things that are absolutely critical and and they will have to work for instance logistics support Uh, this is all done by contractors otherwise the military doesn't get meals uh, for example. Um, and so uh, if there's money there, then that continues. Maybe it even continues if there's no money there. But there is a problem because there is a thing called the anti-deficiency Act. You can't work and get and do and essentially get the government to tell you to do something if it doesn't have the money and hasn't appropriated the money for you to do it. So that's going to get tricky as well, and it depends really how long this uh, shutdown will go on. Uh, my sense is that it's not going to go on very long because there'll be a lot of finger pointing. Uh, and it may well be that at the end of the day, McCarthy will decide he's going to be like that old British prime minister, Ramsay MacDonald, who decided to throw his lot in with the conservatives to stay prime minister. It was the end of his career, but he stayed prime minister. And maybe ultimately McCarthy will do that, go with the Democrats. Uh, say he's doing it for the country. Say he's fallen on his sword to do it for the country. And hopefully he gets a chapter in Profiles and Courage.
0: Addition two. From your mouth to God's ears, Dove, because I know that you have a special conduit uh, to the uh, Almighty. Uh, Jim, very quickly, let me uh, bring you in on what happens to folks uh, in the ranks, because unfortunately you had to live through this probably more than anybody else on this call.
3: Well, it's a terrible situation for the rank and file. And um, Dove mentioned part of it, which is, uh, you know, paychecks not showing up or there being chaos and you're not knowing when you're going to be able to make your mortgage payment or this type of thing. But I, I would like to stress the something that my, not a lot of your listeners might know, but there are people in the government, and that was in the Pentagon and OSD, who actually love their jobs. There's foreign service officers, uh, there are military officers, there's civil servants, all of us together in an office, and uh, and half of us have to disappear, and the morale hit that that uh, causes is something that is uh, it's truly very emotional. I've gotten phone calls as I was made to stay on. I got phone calls from foreign service officers or others who were in my office begging to come back because they had things to do they had work to do and this felt like a slap in terms of their worthiness of being on a staff and this type of thing it's terrible and the last point though to keep this short is you know we talk about uh crossing red lines or or not having uh, appropriate defense capabilities as as emboldening an adversary this kind of thing emboldens an adversary too i cannot tell you how many european allies came up to me during these times with with a, a sympathetic uh, look on their face saying, what is wrong with you all? And you have to sit there and and just pretend like, well, this is our democracy. Uh, and that's certainly someone like Putin or others right. that is emboldens them thinking that our democracy is weaker than it is or that it's imploding from within. Don't think that that doesn't happen in Moscow and Beijing and other places, too. So this silliness has major ramifications with our adversaries uh, globally
0: I couldn't agree with you uh more in fact Patrick I wanted to get your sense uh Air Force secretary uh, Frank Kendall uh, told us in an interview that somebody on his staff had been mocked by a pla uh, officer you know about the you know military holds and and how the, the system in the United States effectively doesn't uh, work I mean, taunted us uh taunted uh the person who was on his staff how's beijing looking at this and how is beijing spinning it and i want to get and then i'm going to get this conversation rolling and we're going to go into a little bit more of a lightning round because it's a big week and we have a lot of stuff to do i got to get michael back on to talk about ndaa and the stuff with menendez and uh, ukraine aid as well before we get to the geostrategy of it but go ahead patrick
4: Well, in the past, the Chinese have indeed mocked and taunted the United States for having an inferior system and chronic flaws that uh, are leading to its downfall. But uh, they've been relatively quiet lately, and that's partly because China is facing its own economic and political turmoil. Um, And you can um, taunt U.S. officials for not being confirmed, but at least our officials are not disappearing. And. uh, You know, it's 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 looking rather careless in terms of the senior vetting process by Xi Jinping when he has to lose his foreign secretary and defense minister in very short order after he raised them up to that level. Um, So um, they were not in a strong position to criticize, but you can be sure that their foreign ministry and other elements will take advantage of any shutdown to uh, reaffirm their own confirmation bias that they have a superior system.
0: Um, Is did the a meeting between Wang Yi, uh, unusual meeting between Wang Yi and Jake Sullivan and Malta of all places, is that helping change the vector of the relationship? And is this a case of sort of Washington gravitating toward Beijing, Beijing gravitating toward Washington because of Moscow? I don't want to overread this, right? But I mean, is there another reason, potentially?
4: Well, there are uh, some good reasons why China really needs some economic help, and that's why they've agreed, I think, to this economic uh, platform to explore what they can agree on. By the time she and Biden meet in San Francisco at the APEC meeting, um, and you know, that's the the positive side of, of U.S.-China relations that they uh, both sides are are very serious about keeping the economic and trade side at least um, somewhat stable. But the intensified uh, invective on uh, things like uh, support for Ukraine um, or Russia's support for North Korea uh, continue to be a very divisive issue with China, um, and China is not losing any, uh, you know, any any time wasting uh, any time criticizing U.S. operations, U.S. sanctions, U.S. tech policy. So there's it's a two sided uh, game right now, but the good news is that despite those differences, China, Jake Sullivan, Wang Yi have agreed that they really do need to step up preparations here, as we're only a few weeks away from a Potential summit meeting between Xi and Biden. Uh,
0: a quick word from our sponsors Bell sponsors our daily coverage, HII sponsors our global coverage, General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage, Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage, GE Aerospace sponsors our Air naval coverage, and Spirit Aerosystems Defense and Space sponsored our coverage of the Air Force Association's Aerospace Cyber Conference and uh, Trade Show. Michael, I want to get back to you on uh, the NDA. And, and then we'll get to the Tuberville matter where I'm going to let Dove uh, give a little bit of I told you so uh, to that as well. But where are we on the National Defense Authorization Act?
1: Yeah, I can be really quick on that. But before I comment on that, you know, Dove said something about McCarthy partnering with Dems. And I and I agree. But the problem for McCarthy to partner with Democrats um, to keep the government open and fund the government The Democrats are going to extract things from him that McCarthy will not be able to give. I mean, one is he would have to agree to higher spending levels. But more importantly, I believe the Democrats would ask for an end to the impeachment inquiry. Uh, And I think that's something that McCarthy would not be able to give them. And I think it was a strategic error to announce this inquiry last week because he didn't get anything for it. He didn't get anything from the right wing, and he's cut off his lifeline uh, from the Democrats. So I think the Democrats – uh, are done negotiating and if they're going to uh ex- to help keep the government open they're uh, they're going to extract at least um, higher spending levels and the end to the impeachment decree now on the NDAA um, the house voted uh, to commence conference uh, on the NDAA so that's the upside right uh, the downside uh is you know they did announce their conferees and as you know in their core conferees which are almost always the members of the House Armed Services Committee, certain ones, because not every member of the House Armed Services Committee is a conferee. Uh, and then there are outside conferees because there are lots of issues in the NDAA that affect other committees. So somebody from the Foreign Affairs Committee could be an outside conferee to deal with provisions that might deal with foreign weapons sales, for example. Um, but however, uh in a break with tradition, that Marjorie Taylor Green was named as a core conferee, which means that she will have a say in every issue. Uh, that comes up for debate uh, during the uh, NDAA conference. And that will definitely throw a wrench Uh, into the workings of the conference as they try to hash through their differences.
0: And on uh, Tuberville, uh, it was on this program that Dove many uh, months ago was saying, look, I mean, the way to solve this uh, is to vote on uh, the top guys. Uh, House, uh, excuse me, uh, Senate Majority Leader Schumer allowed the vote for uh, the joint staff, but those votes don't go uh, any uh, farther than that at, at the moment. What does this signify? Because people are saying, you know, it's a, it's a defeat for Tuberville. I don't I don't know if it's a defeat for Tuberville. There are still hundreds of general officers and military promotions that are held up by it. It's still a devastating, damaging thing, and he has absolutely no inclination uh, to to end those holds. I mean, are, are we reading too much into, yay, we got this batch through, which I think is terrific. There are service leaders, it's important to have them in. But at every lead at every rank these guys are paid and uh, these men and women are paid to lead and we need uh, he, them to be in the jobs and be leading I, I agree with you no your assessment's correct and, and in like, fact look we're all losing right here
1: uh I I uh, I think Schumer did the right thing uh, I think that Schumer is tacitly you know showing people too hey the Democrats care about this China fight you know we, we're going to do our part here we're not the ones holding up these promotions. We're not the ones threatening to shut down the government. We're not the ones, you know, holding up, you know, uh, you know promoting a, a CR that cuts, you know, spending levels. Um, so uh, I think it was a, a good move, and a smart move, but this is not this it's not going to solve the problem because in order to get the other 313 done, as we've talked about before, it would tie up all the time the Senate has available uh, for the rest of the year. So uh, they're both going to try and spin a win out of this. Uh, you know, the former president. Uh, set, set on too social that this was a big win uh, for Tommy Tupperville. And as we talked about last week, he's become a folk hero to some of the conservatives back home. But we are still far uh, from getting this issue uh,
0: resolved. Um, Dove, I'm going to give you uh, a moment uh, before we move very quickly to uh, get through the rest of the agenda. But go ahead. Uh, give us your I told you so.
2: Well, first, let me be clear. I didn't say that McCarthy would work with the Democrats. I think that that's the rock in a hard place that he's faking. Um, on Tupperville, uh, look, uh, one de- senior Democrat said to me, as soon as they did something like what they just did, Tupperville would say, you see, it's doable, and would dig his heels in, which, of course, he's done. The real question is, uh, does Schumer stop there? For example, each of the Joint Chiefs has to still do the job uh, that they were doing as, as vice chiefs, because they don't have a vice chief. And so they're still being pulled you know, in 20 different directions, right. 24 hours a day. So my guess is the next step is going to be to approve the vice chiefs so that the chiefs can do their job. That still leaves those 300 people, their families, their children up in the air. Uh, and it may well be that the pressures on Tupperville will continue and go nowhere. But then Schumer will try to get at least some people approved in batches. I don't know whether that'll happen, but I do think the next step is
0: going to be to get the vice chiefs in there. Uh, uh, Once again, I hope uh, you are... Uh, right about that. Uh, re- really quickly, um, Michael, uh, support for Ukraine uh, and how that's going up on the Hill, especially as Vladimir Zelensky meets with Republicans who have committed to try to end uh, the aid. Uh, and again, as you mentioned, uh, that was a factor uh, in the voting and as well, uh, the indictment of uh, New Jersey Democratic Senator Menendez uh, and, that, and what that means. Right. I mean, this is the latest in a string of indictments uh he has beaten them in the past uh it doesn't mean you'll continue to beat him going into the future um give us but he is somebody who we know on the senate foreign as the chairman of the senate foreign relations committee has been uh somebody whose whose mark has been on american foreign policy for nearly three decades uh give us your sense on both of those and what impact they'll have
1: okay sure so the big week for ukraine was zelensky in town Mm
0: -hmm. and prior to him
1: visiting with the senators uh, on Wednesday, senators received a classified briefing uh, on Ukraine. Uh, McCarthy's office uh, turned down the same briefing you know, for House Republicans. And shortly thereafter, 23 uh, congressmen, six senators, uh, sent a letter to um, OMB, again, with their opposition uh, to Ukraine aid, complaining that it's an open-ended commitment that we're spending so much money. Uh, but on Thursday, Zelensky uh, addressed the Senate, and he used the old Senate chamber, which is really a you know, place of honor because it's only used for special occasions, Uh, Zelensky had asked to deliver another joint address before the whole Congress, but House Republicans denied that request. However, Zelensky did meet with McCarthy, uh, other uh, House uh, Republican leaders and Democratic leaders, a small group of them. I think it was five Republican leaders and five uh, Democratic leaders. And from what I understand, that meeting went very well. And from Democrats in the room, too, that McCarthy did say that they would get them uh, what they needed. And I I, I was talking to a House Republican appropriator earlier this week who actually suggested that they – put a freestanding ukraine bill on the floor right you don't need to tie it to disaster aid or the cr or anything if you put a freestanding ukraine bill on the floor of the house it will pass overwhelmingly with well over 300 votes so in the end that could end up being the end game here but we have to wait and see uh, because you know it also depends too on what the number is the number that biden's asking for only funds them october november december which means we'd have to be doing this again at the end of the year i think mcconnell wants to fund them for a year and a half but i still think that ukraine funding will happen now as far as menendez goes obviously He's not only been a champion for uh, continuing our support for freedom and democracy in Ukraine, but, you know, he's been a champion uh, of human rights across the globe. And, uh, you know, the disclaimer, look, I consider Menendez a good personal friend. Uh, He's been down this road before. Uh, He's a survivor. He's a fighter from Jersey. I'm a Jersey guy. Uh, I, I... If anybody can beat this, it's going to be Senator Menendez, and this remains to be seen. The problem is that it's an election year, and Senator Menendez is up for re-election in 2024. Uh, So this really could put that New Jersey seat into play and put another seat that the Republicans could possibly win if, and it's a big if, they could find a good candidate. Uh, So And it's one of the most expensive places to run because it's in the New York and Philadelphia media markets.
0: Uh, exactly so. Uh, and we have, uh, David McCormick, uh, right. Who's already announced that he's going to pursue, um, uh the seat in pennsylvania and that's going to be interesting because the party has now coalesced around him who's more you know sellable uh more attractive republican uh than mehmet uh, oz uh was um okay uh moving on jim give give us your sense on how the alliance uh is going to handle this how the alliance has to handle this because ultimately ukraine needs as much help as it can right now and having you know important nations especially those along its borders um, throwing down on an issue like this is is frankly pretty obscene.
3: Well, it is, uh, and it's something that's not so unusual in Europe, as you know. I mean, we've just seen as a centerpiece for that uh, Sweden versus Turkey uh, in terms of Swedish membership and the Turks holding things up and continuing to hold things up. Uh, we see it in a, in a lot of um, in a lot of ways in Europe because it's European politics is how European nations deal with each other. Um, in the old days they would go to war with each other now it's just sniping and uh, and these kinds of tactics uh and it doesn't it's not a good look and and, and but it's something that you, you we have to work around we have to deal with it's not a good look over in the united states either i mean michael did a great job and mm-hmm. uh and dub laying out uh, the silliness uh that that w- that we do here uh and it's certainly something that is a part of democracy you're just going to see this and you're going to see it in europe because of a lot of of ancient hatreds or greed or other things that make these individual um instances uh they you know they have their own characteristic in this case it's grain and grain prices and and this type of thing in terms of nato how does nato deal with it well nato doesn't deal with this uh nato doesn't doesn't do at within the alliance uh, domestic issues now i realize this is a bigger than just a domestic issue but it's but it's something that NATO doesn't get involved in, it's certainly not publicly. What happens, though, behind the scenes and quietly is uh, sometimes the section or, or another NATO official will act as a go-between between two allies and try to come up with ways around a problem. An example of that is Greek is Greek-Turk issues. Uh, when it looks like uh, they're going to war, uh, a lot of times it's the SecGen or maybe the chairman of the military committee who's who's working behind the scenes to try to you know come up with a solution that these countries can can live with. The EU does this too, but just in terms of NATO, this this can be effective, uh, and I would imagine right now that's probably happening uh because of ukraine and the importance there and so so that's how nato gets involved it's not going to be public it's not going to be punishment uh publicly or this type of thing or or punishment at all what it is is very good diplomacy that happens behind the scenes there at nato headquarters
0: i mean is support for ukraine ebbing from from your perspective
3: no, you know, it's not, uh, it's not ebbing in Europe. And and it's interesting. Um, we talked about this last weekend. And um, uh, a few days ago, I was reading somewhere where that seems to be what others are saying as well, that that in fact, support for Ukraine uh, is stronger in uh, in most of Europe uh, than it is in the US. Now, I'll, you know, I'll say that you know, a lot of that's based on polling is based on, on things that are, you know, that rise and fall, and you just can't, you know, Nail yourself to the mast, if you will, uh, when it comes to polls and this type of thing. But I would say with all the countries uh, that I have been, you know, they're, they're uh, representatives that I talk to every day uh, coming through Washington. And I'll be off to Helsinki in a couple of days at a conference and I'll talk to folks there. I, I certainly pick up that there is not the kind of noise Coming out of most of Europe, that is coming out of the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. political mainstream. Uh, well, not in the mainstream, but out of the Republicans certainly. Uh, so, uh, so I think, in a general sense, uh, based on what I've heard, uh, I think, I think, I think the Europeans realize how much this matters to them, um, and there's going to have their own peculiarities, whether it's Poland in the grain or. Uh, or sweden and turkey whatever it might be they're going to be those issues and frankly those issues embolden putin too putin's hoping that he'll see more of that kind of thing as a representative of europe going wobbly but but it's not it's representative of europe being europe uh and i think overall they're they're still pretty strong behind ukraine and uh, when i get back from finland i'll let you know if that's what i found there as well
0: um, it's it's certainly going to be very interesting uh, to hear. Uh, just a quick reminder to our audience to check out our weekly podcasts, Cavus Ships, hosted by our very own Chris Cavus and Chris Cervello and sponsored by HII, who clear the fog on naval and maritime matters, the downlink with Laura Winter, who takes a thoughtful look at all things space, and our air power podcast, sponsored by GE Aerospace, uh, uh, that is co-hosted by J.J. Girdler uh, and me. Uh, Patrick, um, walk us through the um, if you want to have uh, if there's anything to add uh, certainly on the Sullivan uh, Wang Yi uh, meeting uh, again I mean I think it's fascinating that it's uh, that it took place in Malta and sort of what does it mean let's let me just ask you about the defense minister right I mean there have been a whole number of senior Chinese officials who've been in the business of disappearing do we know why the defense minister has disappeared?
4: He is presumed to be under investigation, and that's uh, seemingly confirmed by U.S. officials anonymously, but not on the record. Uh, and the Chinese have not explained why he has disappeared. They claim not to have any information on the defense minister, Li Shangfu, um, but he's being investigated for corruption. That seems to be uh, clear now. And this is in the wake of, of course, the rocket force commander and the rocket force political commissar. Uh, and the foreign minister, all uh, being um, sidelined, although um, Chen Gong, the foreign minister, the former foreign minister, was sidelined not so much for corruption, but for um, what they call lifestyle uh, choices. Uh, he had a, a baby out of wedlock who was connected to a woman who might have been compromised by foreign, foreign intelligence. So that is a very uh, complicated story there. But the Chinese uh, losing their defense minister, Li Fu after... Relatively recently being promoted um, is uh, again a real problem for the leadership trust um, for Xi Jinping. He cannot trust his his military um, if if his senior generals are are meant to be accelerating this combat readiness of the force by 2027, so that they're ready for a potential kinetic war, um, and and yet he's having to uh, sack leaders for corruption. Um, It shows how endemic the corruption problem is in the Chinese military and in the government. It also shows how um, difficult it is for there to be strong trust between Xi Jinping and his uniformed officers. And I think that's um, maybe a benefit, but it also could have a dark side of uh, putting uh, less competent people in charge, um, inexperienced people, and suddenly uh, going into a a crisis um, with inexperience could could be more explosive still.
0: And um, do you see any correlation with the worsening uh, Chinese economy and China's willingness to mount ever larger scale operations against Taiwan? I mean, the last couple of weeks have been pretty impressive in terms of uh, Chinese activity.
4: There's a lot going on in different directions. I wouldn't uh, say that's the cause of the uh, accelerated demonstrations of encirclement around Taiwan the fact that uh, this is this is has a natural outgrowth of increased PLA spending and exercising and wanting to tighten the tourniquet around Taiwan to show the Americans that they're not going to be able to resupply and come to the defense of Taiwan by making sure that they can totally encircle the island uh, including the East Coast where uh, you know this has been the traditional place where Taiwan would would be able to hold and buy time. Um, And that's why you now see in this encirclement, Chinese talking about they're flying drones as well as these aircraft around the island uh, as they prepare for combat. Um, The United States now deploying two drone autonomous ships, um, you know, talking about as the Taiwan, U.S., others talking about uh, deploying many more drones. Um, The undersea warfare, uh, this whole theater undersea surveillance command that was unveiled and renamed it Whidbey Island. Uh, in near Seattle in the uh, in the overhaul of the integrated undersea surveillance system by the Navy, this all being sort of released in the press now, as part of the uh, demonstration, the United States is is preparing to stop uh, potential invasion of Taiwan or blockade, and indeed, Assistant Secretary of Defense Eli Ratner in testimony this week talked about uh, a blockade around Taiwan would be a monster risk. And he then enumerated all the things the administration's doing um, to help make sure that deterrence holds. So there is a contest and a war of words and actions in terms of operations and maneuvers going on uh, throughout the region right now. But your question about is this related to the economic and political turmoil in China, undoubtedly it is related, Um, but uh, it would probably be going on even if it were not related. Um, it, it just creates even more uncertainty about whether China could miscalculate and do what Putin did in Ukraine, could absolutely miscalculate based on his own imperial delusions and thinking that we are weak. And if a government shutdown adds to that uh, sort of misperception, that could be very dangerous indeed. So even though I don't think that's where Xi Jinping is right now, I think he's still trying these so-called peacetime confrontation operations, what we call gray zone operations, um, Uh to try to just demonstrate and intimidate Taiwan and to demonstrate that ultimately China will control what they claim to be theirs.
0: Uh, And uh, how big is, right? I mean, the administration has been working to try to de-escalate. Are those efforts to try to de-escalate working or are they a fool's errand as far as you're concerned, right? I mean, is China going to do what China does uh, anyway or uh, are are they actually listening to this, right? I mean, in terms of, and and what kind of specific help do they want given how bad off their economy is, right? I mean, obviously there's got to be a quid pro quo in there. Hey, we'll help you out. This is what we're willing to do. Here are the things we don't want to see you do either said or unsaid.
4: Well, the guardrails discussion is still going nowhere, even though Li Fu was one of the obstacles to those high-level discussions with Secretary Austin because Minister Li was sanctioned, and therefore the Chinese in protest were not going to have a high-level meeting. Um, Li not having been sidelined, presumably that opens up the options for other officials to engage senior U.S. officials on military issues. But they're not getting any priority right now from China. China's focused on the trade side um, and trying to get to uh, to San Francisco with at least some greater economic uh, predictability that the United States will not slap even more export restrictions, even though that's happening every day. There are new announcements out of the administration about um, new uh, restrictions on semiconductors on other advanced technologies and and the Chinese are pushing back uh, on these issues. So th- this is a, a a fraught relationship um and it's not going to improve greatly but yes I mean Jake Sullivan and the president and the administration have uh found at least uh, an opening with Beijing for uh some kind of economic stability and that's that's the hope and yet things are fragmenting at the same time. So it's it's a contradiction um, but it's the best that we can do right now, which is to say that, okay, we've got a, a cold or a hot, you know, a hot piece or a cold war brewing. And indeed, I was just in Korea with, um, former, uh, uh, chairman, Mike, um, Mullen, Admiral Mullen. And he talked about if we're not in the cold war, we are extremely close to one between us and China. So there's this feeling that we are indeed at a fraught moment with the Chinese, but People still want economic ties in big firms, even though they're mostly offshoring or fringe shoring to Vietnam, to India, other places. They still want uh, those economic ties as well. So there's, there is that economic interdependence that is still holding, the the ground here, even while uh, people seem to be preparing more and more for military uh, action that could happen, um, and the United States is determined to. De- deter that from happening, China is determined to show that they could do it and therefore um, are doubling down on these issues. Meanwhile, Russia, of course, uh, is, is doubling down in its own war and trying through North Korean munitions potentially to prolong its uh, its campaign there. They're talking about Belarus playing a niche role, maybe being the uh, sort of uh, transit point for North Korean arms. Kim Jong-un came back from his long trip to Russia and the Russian East and had a Politburo meeting. Um, to reaffirm the new momentum and direction comprehensively in terms of russia north Korean relations. This gives North Korea more autonomy and independence. Um, but so far, visibly at least, the only thing we can see that North Korea's gain from Russia was a half a dozen or so uh, kamikaze uh, drones that uh, the governor from the Far East gave to Kim Jong-un. There's more there, of course, uh, but they haven't yet shown their cards.
0: And at the risk of the audience thinking I'm senile, because we did discuss this um, uh, a little bit of uh, some of the takeaways from your uh, Seoul trip, you've had a week to sort of think about it, What were some of the other sort of somewhat deeper or other revelations that you didn't discuss last week?
4: Well, uh, there were two big topics at the conference in Seoul. One of them was uh, indeed the North Korean relationship with Russia and what this portends Um, and the upshot here. And we heard a bit of this from, uh, President Yoon at the UN General Assembly, that hinting that if uh, Russia indeed goes through and, and gets munitions from North Korea to use on the battlefield in Ukraine, that Seoul would revisit uh, the decision not to send arms to Ukraine. Um, that's a big decision because right now South Korea is a major provider of military arms, uh, extremely capable and more capable arms than North Korea has. Um, so uh, that's that's one issue another issue is uh is the entire um, question about the lessons of Ukraine war um and I presented a half a dozen lessons that I thought were being analyzed by the Americans by the Chinese but by others in the region that uh, leave a um, ambivalent um, sort of outlook as to whether Ukraine is indeed an inhibitor of Use of force in Asia, or could be an accelerator. and and it, it could go either way, depending on so many other factors, because you can look at the Ukraine lessons and say, "Wow, what a setback for the mighty once mighty Russian army. On the other hand, uh, Russia's persisting and not giving up and trying to keep you know the facts on the ground that they changed from changing further. And the administration, you know talking about how um Ukraine has gained back more than half a territory. That's right. true, but that was mostly getting back long ago, not not recently. Um, so, you know, it remains to be seen. Anyway, I think the, uh, the the Seoul trip is very important just because South Korea really is determined to play this global pivotal role and is standing up in the world uh, as in technology, in arms sales, um, on economic issues, um, even while President Yoon himself is got low uh, sort of ratings in the electoral right. uh, campaign that is going to have a midterm election uh, early next year. And, then, and if his party cannot gain the majority in the national assembly. It's going to have a hard time legislating anything serious. So we need our South Korean ally to, to do better. They did also talk a lot about the Camp David agreement with Japan, U S and uh, South Korea. And they, and, and that was important because here we were in South Korea, talking about the importance of the Japanese in ways that we haven't seen before. And finally, I I just need to make an aside on Ambassador Rahm Emanuel. He was not there at this conference, but he continues to be in the news every day, our ambassador to Japan. Uh, And now he'd been taunting the Chinese, almost being our only wolf warrior diplomat. Uh, um, And he was a call on the carpet this last week, supposedly, and told not to do this anymore. And yet he came out with another tweet on social media um, sort of Showing that Chinese fishing vessels were flooding the exclusive economic zone of Japan for fishing, right. even though uh, China had banned any fishing of, uh, of, of in, in Japanese exclusive economic zone because of protesting the so-called uh, radiation leak right. uh, in the waters. Anyway, uh, fascinating.
0: Uh, Absolutely. Um, We've got about uh, three minutes left. We have to go into a lightning round because there are two important questions I want to get Dove's take on. Uh, But we've also got breaking news. Go ahead, Michael. What uh, is Kevin McCarthy doing right now? And why should we be worried?
1: (laughs) Well, it's an evolving situation. So now McCarthy has announced that he is going to remove uh, the $300 million in the defense appropriations bill uh, that's there for training of Ukrainian soldiers. Uh, And uh, but, you know, this is a demand again from Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, because she had flipped her vote against the rules. So now this is their way of getting the bill passed. However, he is saying that they will hold a separate vote on this. And if there is a separate vote on it, as we mentioned earlier, I believe that will pass. So it's kind of a shell game that they're
0: playing. Uh, very very uh interesting dove uh really quickly uh, united states released 6 billion dollars to get five americans back now that's in humanitarian aid uh not the, you know uh, military aid or or anything else but you wrote a piece in the hill uh saying that it just makes everybody less safe and is going to em- embolden more uh terrorism well yes because
2: uh money is fungible and uh the money that uh, they spend about at least a billion dollars a year supporting Hezbollah, supporting Hamas, supporting the Houthis in Yemen, supporting even the underground movements in Saudi Arabia. And six billion means that they can divert some or all of it, which they would have spent on humanitarian activities, now are being covered by this deal. And they can, in turn, turn that money over to the various clients they've got in Iraq as well. So it's a big problem, and the the ultimate problem is if things get worse in the Middle East, we're forced back in there at least to send some more presence there, which we've already started to do. That's not what we should be doing right now, given everything we've just heard on this uh, podcast. Um, Netanyahu was in New York. He finally appears to have wangled an invitation to the White House sometime before the end of the year, but he's been met with demonstrations all over the country, wherever he's been, uh, and at the same time, while uh, Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia said they're moving ever closer to Israel, at the very same time, the Palestinians offered what they consider concessions, which includes turning over land currently under the Israeli military's control to the Palestinians. There's no way that uh, the right wing of Netanyahu's government is going to accept that. And there's no way that the Saudis will undermine the Palestinians on that point. So I'm not sure it's going to go ma- very much further than it's already going, which is unofficial relations, business deals, overflights, whatever, but nothing formal. And by the way, that's how Israel and Iran
0: operated under the Shah. I should also point out that Raisi speaking in New York uh, at the United Nations was, was nothing if not uh, you know, saying that there will be retribution for Soleimani's murder. Uh, you know, so, I mean, there's no softening at all by the Ayatollahs on this uh, first anniversary of uh, Masa Amini's, um, uh, you know, tragic uh, death, uh, where, um, you know, there was this hope, right, they're going to be tougher on the religious uh, police, uh, and what have you. Um, let and me, by uh, the her- way,
2: let, let yeah, me just ahead. add that the Israeli representative to the UN held up a picture of her while Raisi was speaking and was hauled out by UN security and then gave so many press conferences, so many interviews that he's highlighted the issue well beyond anything the Iranians would have wanted to see. Uh,
0: Exactly. Uh, But, you know, that's uh, that uh, really was uh, one of those memorable UN moments. Uh, We've got about a minute left, uh, Dove and I want to get your sense uh, on the situation in Nagorno-Karabakh uh there uh, it appears as though the armenian uh enclave uh has surrendered after having been blockaded uh russians not playing a role in it and a and a lightning uh azerbaijani quote counter terror operation uh, that was nothing of the sort and, and uh killed a couple of hundred people and injured several hundred more uh including killed some russian soldiers in fact who were in that peacekeeping detachment um and, and the Russians obviously doing nothing to protect Armenia proper because Azerbaijan has ar- occupied some Armenian uh, territory in this. Uh, I mean, ultimately, since 1945, we've been saying never again and it doesn't really seem to be never again. You and I had these conversations uh, at Halifax and elsewhere uh, in the really one of the world's extraordinary security forums, the Halifax International Security Forum, uh, where you know, Xinjiang was an issue and how Uyghurs were being treated uh, and an ethnic uh, you know, cleansing was being done in, in that case. Um, I mean, what, what's your sense on how all of this uh, plays out and its implications more broadly?
2: True. Look, the bottom line is that the world as uh, you mentioned, the Uyghurs, they are also the Kurds and the Armenians are part of that category. The world just doesn't care. And uh, it may well be that there'll be a rump Armenian state like there's a rump Georgian state. But at the end of the day, um, the, everyone knows that when the Armenians were being slaughtered by the, in 1915-16, in um, nobody in the world really raised lifted a finger. And, and that's the problem. When you have a small landlocked state, um, at least they've got a state, uh, which is more than the Kurds can say, and certainly not the Uyghurs. Um, the world just isn't going to care. And Russia obviously is preoccupied with uh, bigger things. And so uh, they're clearly ready to sell Armenia down the drain. And that's what they're doing.
0: Uh, and the unfortunate thing is, right, I mean, everybody needs Turkey. Uh, everybody you know, certainly needs Azeri uh, energy now. Uh, and that gives them uh, leverage. And unfortunately, Israel is equipping uh, Azerbaijan with the most capable weaponry that's allowing this. Uh, unfor- and Turkey is uh, allowing this to happen. Uh, very quickly, I neglected to ask, uh, Patrick, uh, you get the last 30 seconds incredible row uh, between uh, Canada and India, Canada making uh, the accusation that it was actually India that assassinated a Sikh uh, leader in the country. Obviously the largest Sikh community outside India is in Canada. Um, The Canadians are, the Indians are retaliating by saying, uh, Indians, you know, it's time for you to leave Canada because, you know, you'll, you'll be subjected to ethnic violence. Canadians are saying there's absolutely no indication of anybody, uh, uh, perpetrating anti-Indian violence. And Washington now is figuring out how to handle this as everybody else is because you know India is you know, throwing Canadians out, you know, not issuing visas, what, what have you. What, what does all of this mean and where is it going? Because I don't think the Canadians would have made an accusation like this if there was not unfortunately something to it especially given the way the uh, current Indian administration has been behaving toward journalists, including my good friend, Vivek Raghavanshi, who uh, you know remains in prison as far as we can tell.
4: Indeed, the Canadian media uh, being told by the government that they had a thorough investigation and that there was signals intelligence from another Five Eyes member hinting that it was the United States. Uh, and that's why Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, came out and said this was absolutely unacceptable uh, and we must have cooperation on an investigation. But um, India is doubling down on, on sort of saying uh, Canada is the problem. They, they're now called Canada a terrorist haven. That's a phrase they've only used for Pakistan. So if this continues to escalate, it um, is not somehow found an off ramp. Um, this really hurts U.S. Uh, diplomacy with uh, our major ally, Canada, but our major partner in the Indo-Pacific, India, um, having a, a serious uh, row that's rupturing the relations and leading uh, leading us in the wrong direction. So watch this space.
0: Uh, and and Dove just pointed out that Harj Sajan, uh, who was Canada's former defense minister and now emergency preparedness minister, is a Sikh Canadian, highly decorated soldier uh, and uh, police officer uh, who, uh, before he began his career in politics, uh, and somebody who Dove and I had many productive interactions with in, in Halifax over, over the years. Uh, Guys, thanks so very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. It's a terrific uh, program every week and certainly uh, look forward to it. Hope all of you have uh, a terrific weekend. And thanks very much to the audience for joining us. We appreciate it very much. And a special thanks to Bell for their generous sponsorship that makes this program possible every week. We'll uh, be back on again on Sunday for the Business Roundtable. Hope you join us then. In the meantime, uh, hope you have
4: all a great weekend uh, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks very much.